Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to a special edition of our federal COVID-19 episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz, and our special guests today are Daryl Nirenberg and Patrick Northrup with Steptoe and Johnson out of Washington, D.C. They are Porak's federal advocates. I want to thank them for joining uh, us today to give our members an update of uh, what Porak is doing at the in the Washington, D.C., of the national capital. We're continuing to practice our uh, social distancing by having our Zoom pods to provide a uh, timely update to our membership. I guess the biggest thing we should talk about is uh, what's happening with Congress, uh, where are they today, and uh, what some of the future plans are. So I'll turn it over to uh, to Daryl and Patrick if you want to give us an update. Why don't we start with uh, where's Congress now? Are they in session? If they're not, when do they plan on coming back? How have the dynamics changed in Washington, D.C. regarding legislating our nation under the current pandemic. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for having us participate in today's podcast. And also thank you for the opportunity to represent PORAC here in DC. It's a privilege for us and it's something which we very much enjoy and are grateful to be part of PORAC's mission. Where Congress is today is not in Washington. Congress has largely been absent since COVID broke in D.C., which was about mid-March. The Senate has returned on a few occasions, as we'll discuss, to enact legislation, and the House has returned as well just for the purposes of voting. But the question is, when will they come back for uh, traditional real sessions where you'll have meetings and debate? This is something being considered in real time among the leadership. As it stands now, the Senate will return into session this coming Monday, May 3rd. The House had initially planned to join them and come back, but were advised by the House physician that it was not yet safe. And so the House will not be returning next week. They could come back on May 11th, but that is still pending with advice they received from the House physician. When they come back, things will be much different because of the requirement of social distancing. And no one yet is sure how it will work in terms of hearings, meetings, and allowing the public access. But the fact that Congress has not been in session has greatly complicated the legislative process. And as a result, we're not seeing much legislation done. And the prospects for doing significant legislation going forward are somewhat murky. There are two problems in general with this. One is much of what Congress does in terms of putting together legislation, putting together proposals, uh, involves compromise and making agreements. And it's much easier to reach agreements when you're in the same room meeting one-on-one or in a group of members to talk about what the issues are and reach agreement. It is much more difficult to negotiate legislation when you're doing it through telephone calls or through Zoom. Members traditionally have done a lot of work in forming legislation and making compromises when they show up in their chambers to vote and they see each other. That has been missing the last month, and no one's sure how that will look going forward. Then you layer in the fact that this is an election year, 
And it's a uh, very divided public, and it's going to be a very divisive campaign. And whereas members have an instinct to try to come together, to work together, be bipartisan to address uh, the pandemic, there is always the elections coming up as an overhang. Let me turn it over to Patrick, see if he has anything to add. Not particularly. Daryl, yeah, pretty much covered everything. Yeah, there's still a lot up in the air, and we'll find out more here shortly. Thank you, Patrick. I know one of the issues that we're facing here in California is, is we have a split between the two houses in regards to whether they can meet away from the chambers. The lower house, the assembly, believes that they can. The Senate, the upper house, believes that they cannot. Have those discussions happened at all in Washington, D.C., whether the uh, House of Representatives can meet electronically and take votes? Also, uh, what is the Senate's belief in that? And also, do you anticipate seeing some maybe legislation down the road that will allow the legislature to legislate via, via Zoom? or some other form of electronic media. I know in California, there's some concern that the, uh, right now we only have one person running the state and that's not the way our government was set up and there's no oversight. They're trying to, but there's real no oversight of uh, what the governor's doing. And I wonder if some of the folks in DC feel that there's no oversight of what the president's doing. Brian, that is a great question. Let us start with the Senate first and then tack over to the House. The Senate, you have two separate dynamics. One is when Congress passed the most recent funding bill for COVID, the one that increased the amount of money available for the Paycheck Protection Program, gave additional money for hospitals and health facilities and testing. When that bill passed the Senate, Senator McConnell made clear that that would be the last major funding bill to pass the Senate unless the Senate returns to session. So the pressure in the Senate based on tradition to meet and vote in person is very strong. At the same time, there's legislation that's been introduced by Senator Portman from Ohio, who's a Republican, and Senator Durbin from Illinois, who's a Democrat, to provide for a process to allow for remote voting in exigent circumstances like we have now. That legislation is getting a lot of attention. I believe tomorrow, there may be an online hearing of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations to assess that proposal and look at what the procedures would be for remote voting. So in the Senate, it's being considered. It's not clear where the Senate's going to head on it, but it is under active consideration. In the House, when the House came back to consider the most recent COVID funding bill, there was also a proposal put forth for being considered to allow for remote proxy voting by members of the House, whereby members who did not were not able to attend could ask a member who was attending to vote for him or her, her based on instructions from the absent member. That proposal was roundly criticized by the Republicans and was set aside. So that is a pending issue. The House has set up a special committee to look at how they could operate remotely, and we expect to hear more going forward. Uh, Patrick, anything to add on that? Just one more thing. Um, I I think, Brian, you're right um, that you are hearing the House Democrats in particular are concerned that these uh, these the CARES Act and some of this other legislation has pumped a couple of trillion dollars into various programs. And right now there is very little congressional oversight. So you are hearing more and more concern about that. Some of that is tied up with the idea this is an election year. 
and that you know you want to make that point, but uh, that is that is a concern and will probably continue to be a concern if as long as they are not currently meeting. So, so I have a self with this. You know, here in California, they're doing the same thing. We're trying to work on ways that they can do remote voting or legislate remotely. Or now they're coming back to session, but they're going to limit access to the Capitol, limit access to our electeds. And so you speak of oversight, and really, it's we the people that are there to give oversight and they're limiting access to us both here at our state level, but then again at the federal level kind of gets them off the hook. It, uh, they can make votes that may be controversial without having to have face-to-face meetings with their constituents. It's a little concerning to me to make that more difficult. And that depends on what kind of legislation is coming forward. Obviously, if they're doing basic quality of life issues, then that it may not be as much of an issue, but I do think that you're going to see some challenges if they push forward with controversial bills and don't allow access from the public to address these issues. Damon, that's a great point. And that is one of the issues that leadership in both chambers is struggling with because the right to petition government is set forth right in our Bill of Rights and it is held dearly by members of Congress and they want to provide opportunities for members to receive public input, how to do that safely is one of the things the task force will be looking at. It's particularly concerning because over the last few years, we've been dealing with a lot of controversial legislation, both uh, at the state and federal level. And so, uh, you know, there's that whole adage, uh, don't let a crisis go to waste. And I'm fearful that few of them may try to take advantage of this. Very true. Moving on from that, could you give us an update of what we are doing in Washington, D.C. during this pandemic? Yes, Glad to. PORAC has taken a number of steps to make sure that members are aware of what is going on on the ground in California with respect to law enforcement and first responders. And a number of activities have engaged in and a number of items have gone through Congress. Uh, First, let me just very quickly sum up what Congress has done in terms of passing legislation to address the pandemic is they have passed four bills. One was a almost immediately when this issue broke before Congress recessed, where it would provide $8 billion largely for to the Health and Human Services Department to respond to the outbreak. That was done quickly. Then a second bill was passed that was largely to provide for testing for anybody to the extent tests were available on a free basis, provide paid leave for workers, and also increase funding for food stamps. The third bill was a major bill called the CARES Act, which included over $2 trillion in funds for individuals, lending programs for businesses, lending slash grant program for small businesses. The uh, $1,200 for individual citizens was part of that. And also there was a component in there for law enforcement. And then the most recent bill, uh, the fourth bill, was, as I mentioned before, was to put additional funds into the Paycheck Protection Program, provide for more testing funds, and also for hospitals. So following the outbreak, what we did is Brian, you, and and Damon arranged uh, for a series of tele-town halls with members of the legislature and members of Congress. The idea being is to have a sharing of information to share what the situation on the ground was with the members and also to find out from the members what they see coming ahead in terms of how Congress 
and the legislature are going to respond to the crisis. So I'm going to turn it over to Patrick, just talk a minute about what we're able to do in those teletown halls. Yeah. So those teletown halls were a pretty great success. We invited every member of the California delegation to Washington. So both senators and then all of the representatives. We had a couple of dozen members in their offices partake in these teletown halls. There was a real appetite to get that sort of, you know, firsthand on the ground info about what law enforcement and first responders are dealing with as the uh, coronavirus outbreak continues. So Pratt broke it up into regions and everyone was able to share details about their specific area to their representatives. And we had a lot of good come out of that. We were able to engage with members who then continued to ask about, you know, what can they do to help? What is Pratt dealing with on the ground? And we even had some really, you know, great, you know, specific successes. I know on one call, uh, Representative Norma Torres mentioned that she had access to some uh, personal protective equipment and that she then distributed to law enforcement members in her district. So we, it was a really good tool to engage, share information, and just let representatives know what they can do to help and what law enforcement needed. So one of the issues that came up in those teletown halls was the dire need for testing for law enforcement. And out of that, one of those calls came a letter that was sent by Mr. Harder, along with uh, Mr. Mitchell from Michigan, I believe. And what that letter was, is it was asking for priority testing for law enforcement. We have not only worked with Harder on that letter, but we've also engaged with the law enforcement caucus as they have been promoting for the same policy. Another item that came along with the CARES bill was CARES bill included $850 million in burn JAG grants. So we're able to share with the members of Congress and their staff how important those grants are looking forward to the next large CARES Act or COVID bill. Patrick, you want to take a minute and talk about what we know about those burn JAG grants? Yeah, absolutely. So as Daryl said, there was $850 million appropriated for those programs. Um, and that is for state and local law enforcement. And that can be used for additional personal protective equipment. It could be used for various other healthcare measures, you know, say even just sanitizing your station. It can be used for uh, healthcare in correctional facilities just to try to keep everybody safe. And it can be applied for by states, municipalities, counties, any of these smaller jurisdictions to, you know, give their law enforcement agencies the help they need. As of right now, 12 jurisdictions in California have applied and received funding under this program. The program has given out nearly uh, $340 million so far. We'd certainly urge any other agencies that haven't applied or any cities or, or localities that haven't applied to do so. The deadline is May 29th, so they have some time. But um, there is this funding out there to you know help keep law enforcement safe and uh it's been a, been a pretty good success so far. Yeah, I want to thank uh, Daryl and Patrick for all of this information because I have been pushing out all of those grants to our board of directors, Great. chapter presidents, and the SPAC folks. We will also put it on our special COVID-19 landing page. I highly recommend every association in the state of California make sure that their agency or their employing agency, municipality, county, local, Make sure that they're putting in for it and you have to follow up that they're doing their part. 
has to come from either the agency or the city or the county. But as uh, union leaders, police union leaders, we need to be making sure that these folks are putting in for the grants and you're following up to check the status of where they are at. Well, thank you, Brian. Also, based on information that came across in the tele-town halls and information that we received from PORAC subsequent to that, PORAC has sent a number of letters to congressional leaders flagging issues unique to law enforcement. Letters related to the issue of the CDC needing to put out a protocol for first responders, issues related to presumptive occupational illness, and also related to the fact that with states and localities receiving significant federal funds and likely even more funds going forward, but also at the same time being under pressure from reduced tax revenues and increased costs, urging that cities that are receiving these kind of these grants do not engage in layoffs of law enforcement. Patrick, would you like to talk a couple of minutes about the letters we've been sending in these areas? Yes, yeah. So as Daryl mentioned, we've been active on a, a wide number of these areas from the beginning of this outbreak in March all the way till today. As Daryl said, we've sent letters to the uh, Department of Labor asking that, you know, COVID-19 be treated as a presumptive occupational illness. We think it's safe to, to say that, you know, when law enforcement officers are out there talking to and meeting face-to-face people who may be positive for it, that they should be covered under that. In addition, prior to the CARES Act, we had sent out a letter to congressional leaders asking that in any langu- any sort of legislation they had moving forward, that law enforcement was taken care of and supported in this. Law enforcement is facing this on the front line in a way that, you know, many others are not. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, they were covered. In addition to that, as Daryl again mentioned, we have asked the the CDC to, through uh, several California members, to put together a protocol for law enforcement agencies and how they should deal with some of these workplace hazards. It's, you know, if someone comes into contact with somebody who's positive, you know, when do they go home? When do they go back to work? How do they get a test? Is testing widely available? Which actually just, you know, segues straight into the work we've done with Representative Harder out of the uh, 10th district on, you know, ensuring that first responders are tested first. First responders are yeah, active, they're out there in the community. And so it's really important that, you know, we know whether they have, are positive for COVID-19. In addition, we've also sent the letter on trying to prevent layoffs from municipalities and counties, you know, law enforcement is a vital to the safety of any community. And these um, jurisdictions shouldn't be able to take, you know, however many millions of dollars um, in funding from the federal government and then turn around and lay off public safety work. So that's been our most recent effort, uh, but we're continuing to monitor that as, you know, new legislation gets discussed and moves forward. Thank you for that. Damon, is there anything else that you want to discuss with Daryl and Patrick? No, I think they've covered pretty well all the issues we're dealing with. And obviously, the uh, just like here at the, at the state level, it, it's, a, it's challenging to conduct our normal business and make sure we get access to our electeds and see what the bills are coming forward. And so we just have to be vigilant and continue to work hard and hopefully nothing crazy gets snuck through. I agree. And I uh, definitely want to thank uh, Daryl and Patrick for uh, their hard work in Washington, D.C. on our behalf. I think being affiliated with PORAC provides our member associations an excellent opportunity to have their voice heard in Sacramento. But 
a strong and powerful presence in Washington, D.C. as we continue to expand our footprint. I can't thank you guys enough for the work that you're doing for us, especially during this pandemic. And like I stated earlier, it really is incumbent upon our uh, association leaders to also step up and use the resources that we're providing them to follow up with their, uh, their agencies, their cities, their counties to protect their members, because that's really what we're here for is to, uh, to protect the working conditions of our members. So I want to close it up here. I don't know if Daryl or Patrick would like to uh, make any additional comments. Sure. Well, thank you, Brian. And thank you, Damon. Thanks again for having us participate in this podcast. One thing I'd also want to thank you and other leaders in PORAC relates to your engagement with your delegation here in Washington both through your fly-ins to come meet with them in their offices and also your contacts with them in the district offices and continuing contact uh, through calls, letters, and emails. Is that Damon's absolutely right. One of the great challenges going forward uh, in terms of advocating before Congress is going to be having the access to what kind of debates are going on and making sure that your voice is heard. One thing that we have discovered in doing these town halls and in communicating with the delegation since the start of this pandemic is that these relationships that you and the other leaders of PORC have built up for these members have led to a point where they want to talk to us. They want to take our calls. They want to hear what's going on in their districts, and they want to hear your perspective on what Congress needs to do. So whereas it will be challenging going forward to uh, impact the legislative process, we do have a leg up here in D.C. based on the work you all have done. Good luck and stay safe. Patrick? No, just have to echo that. Yeah, good luck and stay safe. And thank you for all you do. With that said, uh, it brought up the, the fly-in component. Obviously, the legislature is going to probably change its normal schedule on when they come back and when they're meeting. Do you anticipate maybe the executive committee doing another fly-in at some point? before the session ends to make those contacts and maybe do the face-to-face meetings. I know our last fly-in, it seemed like we, we caught the, uh, we caught the, the closure <laughs> right before the closure. I know Damon talked about it in his article. I wrote about it a little bit, but it was pretty surreal to be in Washington, D.C. at that time. And I just wondering if uh, we need to go back out there again and, and show our faces in front of these electives. What are your thoughts on those? Uh, thank you for raising that. Brian, you were, in fact, the last or one of the last fly-ins in D.C. They were, as you were finishing your last meeting, members were literally packing to leave. So the timing ended up being impeccable. I'm glad we did it that week instead of trying to do it the subsequent week. But we've always talked about doing a fly-in later this year. We are hoping to do that. A lot will depend on how this pandemic plays out and how the congressional schedule works. The leadership has already said that they expect to have more meetings, days, more session days later on in the year than they had previously expected. But one thing that we would like to review with you is the possibility is that if you're not able to have a scheduled fly-in later this year and as session starts to pick back up, the idea of doing a virtual fly-in where we would use the technology we're using for this podcast, scheduled meetings with members of the delegation 
and invite your leadership to participate in it and run it just like a fly-in would work, just doing it remotely as opposed to being in present. Yep, very open to that. Thank you. That'd be great. Thanks. Well, thanks again for uh, being Thank on you. this special federal COVID-19 podcast with our advocates in D.C., couple of administrative notes. The Sacramento County has extended the shelter in place until May 22nd. At this time, PORAC will obviously remain closed. All of our staff is currently working at home. Some are coming in uh, one day a week due to the nature of our work, which the order allows. We're going to have a discussion later today to determine if we might have some more employees come in on a regular basis. Uh, We really are anxiously awaiting to go back to working every day at PORAC. And I just want to assure our members that we are working very diligently for them here in Sacramento and also in Washington, D.C. Obviously, we know that the memorials were canceled in Washington, D.C., although they are going to do a virtual candlelight on May 13th. If you go to our website at porac.org, we have additional information there. With that said, California has canceled their memorial and to honor in a small tribute for the California, the fallen California officers. If you go to our social media platforms on May 4th, Monday, May 4th at 10.30 a.m., we will be releasing a special tribute video and a moment of silence for those fallen officers from 2019. So please uh, check out all our social media platforms, go to our website, and if you need additional COVID-19 information, go to our special COVID-19 landing page that we created. One last item, PORAC has established or has created for many, many years, it's called the Hazardous Exposure Listing Program, HELP. It's a redundant program if you're exposed to hazards. This is a great place to put it away from your agency, away from your municipality or county, just as a redundant place that you can print out all of your information. It's absolutely free and it's confidential and it's all yours. So please go visit our website, check out the help program and register for that. I want to thank you all for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with PORAC. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your ideas for upcoming episodes. Join us on all our social media platforms and be sure to tag us with your suggestions. Go to PORAC.org to learn more about California's largest law enforcement organization representing over 77,000 public safety members. Make sure to check out and share our monthly podcast and past episodes of Por- on PORAC.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever available. Lastly, we'd like to say thank you to all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. Be safe and have a great day. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 